This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. AM 570, an LA sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All American. USC's Rodney Pete. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney Rodney Pete. Available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. And we continue on. Fred Rogan and Rodney Pete on AM570 LA Sports. Later this hour, the tale of the open microphone. It'll get you every time. You know, there's an old feeling, Rodney, uh, when you work in this business, and I learned it long ago, you have to consider every microphone hot or open. If you're around a microphone, you've got to consider it hot because oftentimes somebody in the control room or in the control studio for TV hits a button that you're unaware of, or there's a technical glitch and the mic is just on and you don't realize it. It'll bite you every time. <laughs> yeah. Bite. And it's been happening for years and it's still happening. Yeah. And it happened yesterday. And we'll talk about that. Now let's bring out a friend of ours uh, from the LA times. One of the lead columnists, but a very articulate and bright man who sometimes irritates Dodger fans, Dylan Hernandez, Dylan. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you guys. Okay, before we give you a chance to irritate anybody, uh, <laughs> what does that mean, Fred? Well, you know, Dylan, you gonna take that? It's fine. You know, it's better to than being ignored, right? Yeah. Well, you're certainly not That's ignored. True. We'll give you that. Yeah. But I want to work backwards because you had a column on the Olympics, uh, and you're saying that the people in Japan, and honestly, we kind of talked about it yesterday, so maybe you have more information than we do. Uh, the people in Japan are saying we don't want the Olympics cancel the olympics how bad is it in japan right now yeah i think you know part of this is just kind of comes down to kind of cultural sensibilities right um you know i now you know there are like very practical medical uh issues over there in terms of you know right we talked about over here right flattening the curve uh, one of the issues that they have over there is actually because their population uh is actually relatively healthy you know they don't have like many fat people so um, they actually have very few uh, ICU beds per capita, okay. right? I believe they're at like five per hundred thousand population. You know, in this country, we're like at thirty or something. So, um, you know, just a little spike in this in this pandemic, uh, obviously, just immediately overloads their their healthcare system. And you know, I think right over here, there's this kind of idea. I think right that you know, I'm not saying right. I'm not passing judgment what's right or wrong. It's just a different value system you know here the thinking is is like look we need to keep the gears of commerce going right and you know what if it results in some people dying well that's kind of the price that you have to pay for you know again right keeping the economy up uh, over there they're much less tolerant i think of just people dying you know um and you know i think when you kind of look at like the numbers um you know uh, by our you know compared to us right now it's you know they're actually you know tokyo right now the entire prefecture they're having about like 900, you know, uh, infections a day. Uh, that's just infections, you know. So, right, we would love to have that, right? Um, you know, uh, yet 
for them, that's kind of a, no, we can't, you know, the, the cost of life is just kind of too much. You know, Nishikori, uh, you know, the, the tennis player, came out last week and basically said, you know, if this costs even one life, uh, we shouldn't be having these Olympics. So, again, I think it's just by their cultural sensibility, you know, what they consider to be acceptable, uh, you know, this, this kind of pushes the boundaries of that, basically. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I think they're they're about preventative maintenance, and they they live that way. I mean, you mentioned that the, the obesity rate over there is not even close to what it is, and especially here, or the rest of the world. But they're all about that. And if something spikes like this, where you're bringing in people from all around the world, um, it could throw the whole health situation out of control. So I, I I get it where all the all the concerns are for a country like Japan and especially a city like Tokyo that's that's incredibly populated who has done you know pretty much a you know they believe done the right thing through all of this and now they're going to be hit with people from around the world what do you think the athletes are going to do Dylan what do you think the athletes as this kind of gets closer and closer are we going to see athletes start to bail out on and opt out of the Olympics I think we will see the athletes in sports where the Olympics aren't the main thing, right? Um, you know, again, given the, the statements made by some of the, you know, prominent um, tennis players, uh, you know, Nishikori, uh, Naomi Osaka uh, last week, I would expect that people, you know, uh, the tennis players will be out. Um, I really question, you know, where, whether basketball players will be uh, allow themselves to be subjected to, okay, you're going to basically live like in a jail cell, you know, style, you know, Amer- you know, Japanese one-bedroom condominium type thing. I just kind of can't imagine themselves being allowed, you know, saying that, that that would be worth it. So, you know, my guess is, again, where the, where the, in the sports where, uh, you know, they have other, right, where they're bigger prizes. I think in those sports uh, you'll see the athletes bail out. But, I mean, if you're a track and field athlete, you know, if you're, if you're Michael Norman, you know, like the kid that was running at USC who's now, you know, one of the top sprinters in the, in the world and, you know, he's never been to the Olympics. Uh, you know, for for an right for a track and field athlete, that's the pinnacle. So my guess is, you know, I guess in those sports, uh, you'll see them kind of right hang in there until the very end. All right, given what they're saying in Japan, and you explain the situation with hospital beds, do you think there is a problem at all now? I mean, Vic was on yesterday saying, "Oh, there are spikes going on in, in Japanese cities, and that's why people are concerned." Was that just Vic being reactionary, or is there a problem with COVID in Japan right now? Oh, no, there's a, there's a huge problem, you know, and they've, um, you know, at least by, again, their sensibilities, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, uh, Tokyo, Osaka, uh, Hokkaido, you know, the northern prefecture where they would have the marathon, where they would run the marathon, uh, they're all under extended states of emergency, you know, and, uh, you know, you can't, uh, in those cities, you can't even buy alcohol right now. Uh, restaurants can't serve alcohol because they don't want people losing their inhibitions and kind of going out. Um, you know, restaurants, I believe, have to close by like 8, 8 p.m. right now. Um, so yeah, no, there is, they are under an extended stay of emergency, uh, you know, to, to kind of, to try to like not lock this down. And, you know, Rodney brought up a really, a really good point just about them being into prevention, you know, um, right. You know, in Japan, you look at a Japanese baseball stadium, they've had netting forever. You know, as far as, as when I was a kid, they had netting, you know, uh, and again, cause they're about, they, they imagine everything that could go wrong beforehand and do something about it then, you know? Whereas, like, we're waiting until, like, right, half of that is, like, sticking out of the chest of a six-year-old girl, and then we decide, oh, well, maybe we should put up some netting, right? right. Um, you know, so, again, it's just kind of a different type of culture there. And, 
you know, it, it's interesting because the, there is this overwhelming uh, economic reason to do it. They've invested, you know, probably close to like $30 billion improving infrastructure to host these games. Uh, you know, and a lot of people will be losing money if these games don't happen yet. Uh, it's just so against kind of the, you know, uh, the essence, I think, of like the Japanese culture that I would imagine, you know, it, it would even reshape them politically, culturally, I think. Uh, you know, and on top of that, there's, there's, an ele- there's a national election in, you know, September, October. Um, you know, so that's also got to be a consideration there. And, you know, I think it's probably 50-50 at this point whether or not it happens. Uh, you know, I would probably bet on this thing not happening. No, it's going to happen. Wow. It's going to happen, Dylan. Wow. You know, they're, they're too close now. And as you point out, there's too much money involved here. There's yeah. no way they'll cancel but it, this. It, is that the yeah, way but we again, are? You know, the, money, the money outweighs yeah. the health. And, and, and as Dylan pointed out, we're, we're, we're talking about a culture that values health more so than dollars. Yeah, but here's the thing, Dylan, and, and I hear you, and Rodney, I hear you as well, and I can just look at it from the perspective because I work at NBC, and, and I understand a lot of the inner workings of this thing. There's no way. There's no way the IOC is not going to stage these games and get that money from NBC. There's just no way. Now, what'll be yeah, interesting... Yeah, so then is- it becomes a question of the government, right? Right. Because I think that... Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right there. You know, And I think that there was probably a you know, period in which, okay, well, right. And, and they actually floated this kind of trial balloon, this idea that like, well, the U S is going to force us to do this. We don't have a choice, you know, and this might've worked probably even midway through the eighties, you know, but right where Japan, right. Post-World War II kind of felt, you had this feel of like, you know, right. We occupied the country. We kind of rebuilt it in our image. They were kind of like our little brother type thing. And well, if the U S says it, we kind of have to do it. I'm not really sure that that flies anymore, you know, from a, again, you know, because uh, the, 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 you know, politicians over there are a lot more sensitive, I think, to how the people think and how they feel over there, you know. And again, I think, you know, it, it's funny because like you look at it from our side and it's like, well, there's no way this can happen uh, or, there, there, you know, there's no way, right, they can cancel it. Um, you know, and I think equally what you have is if you look at it from a Japanese perspective, though, it's. There's no way that this can possibly happen either, right? I mean, so I think you kind of have these equal kind of forces. And, I, you know, and I get, I've brought this example up many times, but remember when, when Otani came over here, right? Um, you know, because of the signing rules, whatever, uh, you know, at the time, right, him being still 23 years old, he settled for a $2 million bonus. Now, theoretically, you know, if he hadn't gotten hurt, whatever, and waited two more years, he could have signed for like $200 million, $250 million. I mean, just think about that. Some guy just like basically said, no, I turned down $200 million because he wanted to just pursue his dream of playing at the highest level of baseball, you know? So again, I agree that, you know, uh, from like an American perspective, the economic thing kind of overrides everything. Uh, But I'm just telling you from the other side, uh, that's definitely not the case. All right, let's shift over to what's happening tonight at Staples Center, uh, the play-in games. Well, first, what do you overall think of this play-in tournament in the NBA? Um, I'm not crazy about it, I guess, you know, um, I mean, I could see why they're doing it. I mean, right. We're all going to be watching. Right. Um, you know, then again, I don't know. I I think you kind of have to make the regular season count for something. Um, and as it is, you know, basketball, there's already kind of this feel of like everybody's in the playoffs. Um, I'm not really sure we need to kind of expand that anymore. 
Um, so personally, like, I'm not like crazy about it, but that said, I mean, it's going to be very entertaining, you know, sometimes like the worst ideas actually, right. Or or the the least fair ideas, a lot of times produce games that are like the most entertaining, you know, I would, you know, I don't think baseball should have expanded playoffs, but it's been, it's great for drama, right. Um, you know, major league soccer has got this ridiculous playoff system, but it's honestly really, really entertaining. So I kind of look at it like that. This is going to be entertaining, but it's probably in terms of fairness, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah, but aren't aren't we just like we were talking about succumbing to what's financially sound or financially gaining for someone? That's what we're going to do because we watched it last night. We talked about it earlier. It, it was hard to watch. It, it was not worth to watch. It was garbage time basically watching those those play playing games. I don't know how it's going to be tonight, but it's a money grab, and it just feels like you mentioned earlier that you know what is the regular season for you fight you have all these games to get to the eighth seed get in the top eight leave it the way it is yeah that would have been i mean that would have been again my call right uh but you know the reason they're doing this is because they're going to have lebron against steph tonight you know and if you like basketball you're going to watch so yeah it's absolutely a money grab and lebron against steph uh we came on the air today and i said i'm going to guarantee the lakers win this game tonight can you see the lakers getting beat tonight uh, sure. You know, if, uh, you know, I mean, if LeBron's ankle isn't quite where, you know, people hope it is. Sure. You know, I think, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, what was that really bad loss that they had, uh, before they beat Denver? Um, you know, anyway, at that point, I kind of remember I wrote that they were toast, you know, and probably if I were to write it right now, right. What you have is basically they're trying to kind of get across this territory and there are landmines everywhere. You know, they're, I think with, the way they are right now, now the, on, the, on the bright side, right, when LeBron has played in this last week or so, he's looked really good. And you could pull it right, and Anthony Davis, obviously, has kind of come into form, and you could really see, okay, this team can win this thing. Uh, at the same time, you could also see a lot that could kind of go wrong here. Uh, you know, and it's going to come down, you know, it's, it, this has always been the story with this team, right? It's about two guys. It was about two guys last year. Uh, it's still about these two guys, and, you know, uh, last year, I think, you know, even when the Clippers looked like they might be the better team or whatever, yeah, I still kind of thought, well, you know what, the, is, at the end of the day, the Lakers have, like, LeBron James. And it's still going to, like, come down, I think, to, to LeBron's health, frankly, and, you know, how well that ankle holds up. Yeah, and isn't that the case? I know people want to make it, and, you, and we talked about it, people are going to watch because it's LeBron versus Steph, but at the end of the day, it really has not a whole lot to do with Steph Curry. It's about how LeBron's ankle is going to hold up. Because even, yeah, even there's, if there's a AD team, is right? fully healthy, yeah, even if AD is fully healthy, and there's a a gimpy LeBron, Lakers are in trouble. Yeah, very well could be because of this, especially the way right Steph kind of Curry, you know, the way he finished the season, um, you know, that, that's kind of the, the you know he becomes then the X factor rather than than LeBron James. And when you talk about the Lakers, let's just take a second on the Clippers here, uh, flying under the radar. And uh, there was some talk that, you know, they basically just packed it in for the last couple of games, and they were trying to duck the Lakers in the first round. Ty Lue came out yesterday and said, well, you know what, if if you really think that, then you're just full of it because we're going to do what we want, and that's not why we did it. We rested our guys. I rested them in Cleveland at the end of the season. This is nothing unusual for me, so mind your own business. Do you think the Clippers are trying to duck the Lakers? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you do wonder, right, if they did, was it the smart thing to do? Um, you know, because last year with the Lakers, you know, and I think that this is kind of, you know, I talked about like the landmines earlier. 
Um, you know, last year, obviously, they went into the bubble. They weren't playing well. And, you know, that said, they went in as a top seed and were playing, right, Portland. And they could kind of work their way kind of back into shape, so to speak, over the course of that series. Uh, you know, because I'm thinking, actually, like, if, if I'm another team, I right, and I think I have, if I have championship aspirations, I actually want to get to the Lakers as soon as possible, mm-hmm. right? Because... Right, right now you kind of don't know where LeBron is. You don't know, you know the again they you know the players themselves talked about right the, their defensive rotations are slow at times. Transition defense isn't great at times. Uh, you know I think that's what you want to take advantage of. So if they did, my question is like, well, was that necessarily the smart thing to do? Right, right, right now might actually be, uh, you know, especially given the fact that you know uh, right the Clippers won right they swept the regular season series. Uh, you would think kind of going in right now, they'd be feeling pretty good about themselves. So uh, if they did do that, uh, I, I do kind of just question the wisdom of it in general. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's switch to the Dodgers because you wrote the other day about how great it was to bring Albert Pujols on. Uh, you still feel that way? Hey, he got a guy. He got a he got a hit with a guy in scoring position. <laughs> what was the last time we saw that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I I've been you know obviously Albert Pujols as a thirty million dollar player you don't like, right? But Albert Pujols, you know, even like with the Angels, maybe not this year, but you know the last couple of years even, I thought he brought some value to the team in the sense that look, if there's a guy on third base and there are fewer than two outs, Pujols will drive that guy in. It might not be the most elegant thing, right? It might just be a sack fly or a ground ball to the other side, whatever. But he's going to get that guy in, you know. And we've kind of seen a little, you know, right, at least that first game. I mean, that was, that was the winning run, um, you know. So, um, and again, the, the worst-case scenario here is that they cut the guy and they're out, what is it, like three, dollars um, $400,000. You know, it's a very, very low-risk, uh, you know, kind of high-reward type thing, given, the, again, the success that they've had in recent years with guys like Chase Utley, guys like David Freeze, who were kind of at the end of their careers. You know, uh, players really kind of seem to gravitate to them and, you know, these guys kind of help redefine kind of the culture of the team, right? Or maybe help build the culture of the team. Uh, the way, you know, when, when the younger guys see the way these guys work, especially right now, right, the team's kind of gone, right, uh, over a bit of a turnover thing with, you know, guys like T.J. Hernandez and Josh Peterson going elsewhere. And now you kind of have these new generations of prospects coming up. And I think it would be useful for them to be around a guy uh, like Pujols, you know, so – Again, worst case scenario, the guy does nothing, turns out to be a cancer. You can just cut him, and you're not you're not out that much. Whereas the the upside, I think, is pretty considerable. Uh, overall, when you look at the Dodgers now, given the number of injuries they've had and uh, how they have gone through their slump, they seem to be coming out of it now against you know the right teams. You got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Where would you say this club is? Oof, boy, you know, I mean, you love the pitching, right? <laughs> but, you know, the offense is still kind of stuck in this, you know, it's, it seems like for the most part the runs are going to come by the home run or not. You know, I what was really unfortunate, I think, for them was I really felt that they were on that verge of turning that corner and taking off because, you know, Mookie Betts was starting to look a little bit better. Uh, Corey Seager was starting to produce. And, you know, when you have those two guys on, uh, you know, those two guys can kind of carry the team. Uh, you know, and what you have now is because, you know, half of that duel is gone now is you're going to need, again, contributions from these role players. And that's kind of the one thing that we haven't seen from this team yet is kind of production. You know, and again, the, you know, Zach McKinstry obviously looked like he was going to be that guy. You know, the injuries have hurt. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. 
but they're going to need some more help kind of from the those peripheral guys as well as their pitching. Uh, you know, because again, they, you know, they're, they, I think between now and the all-star break, right. And I think if you kind of look at Seager and how much time he might miss, uh, you know, there's probably like a good, um, you know, estimate in terms of like how much time he might miss. I believe it's, they have like 12 games, uh, combined between against the, uh, the Giants and the Padres. I mean, so those are 12 big games that basically count as doubles, you know, and the way they're looking right now, you know, if you ask me, like, are they the favorites? I'm not necessarily sure that's, I don't know, I'm not saying that they're the underdog, but, you know, I think, again, if they had Seeger and Betts and, you know, maybe Turner kind of gets out of the slump that he's kind of seemed to be in right now, uh, at that point, yeah, they are, they become the clear favorites. Uh, right now, these things kind of become a little 50 50. And, yeah, you know, it looks like they're going to need a big push, I think, in the second half of the season when, when Seeger's back. Yeah, they are. But, but when you look at the Dodgers, and we, we get spoiled out here, but aren't, aren't they built for this? Because if you, if you take the injuries that they've had so far this season, and there have been injuries throughout baseball, but for one team like the Dodgers that have had their key guys being in, out of the line, lineup and not have that kind of consistency, um, for any team to be able to weather the storm like the Dodgers have to until they're, they get their guys back, they're built this way. Because I don't know another team that would lose this many key guys and still people still believe that they got a chance to win it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely fair. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think, uh, this, you know, we can't kind of ignore the starting pitching, right? I mean, the, the top four guys in the rotation, uh, you know, every night that they go out there, um, you know, they got to, right, they, they have the potential to, you know, go seven and, and put up, you know, a bunch of zeros up there. Uh, those guys will have kind of ensured that the team's going to kind of stay in the in the thing no matter what, you know. But, again, like I, I do think I'm a little, con- you know, the depth I think is, isn't what it was before. You know, there's this whole, I think the assumption was, well, you know, okay, Jock's gone and, and Kike's gone, and right, they'll just kind of go into this farm system and kind of just, like, replenish, and that really hasn't happened yet, you know. Um, you know, you obviously you need to give, you know, um, Friedman's front office a lot of credit for drafting Walker Bueller and drafting Dustin May and, you know, drafting Tony Gonsolin. Uh, you know, on the hitting side, it's been a little bit, right, it's been a little shallow. I mean, the, the best hitter they've drafted is Will Smith, and he's a catcher, and so because of that, he doesn't play every day, right? Because a lot of guys, you know, some of the guys on the team prefer throwing to Austin Barnes. Um, and, you know, so far at least, um, you know, the guys that have kind of come up and, you know, theoretically would have moved into those roles that guys like Jock and Kike were in, uh, you know, just haven't produced. Now, if you talk to Dave Roberts, Dave Roberts will, you know, and I think that this is actually a very fair point, he will point out, no, like, you know, with those types of roles, like you need experience plays a big factor, right? These are kids that are used to playing every day. All of a sudden, now they're down to like one at bat. Uh, you know, Matt Beatty obviously has had some experience doing this, and maybe that's why he's successful, whereas maybe some of the other guys aren't. So, um, you know, I think it's going to come down again a lot to uh, can these kids make that adjustment um, and uh, learn to kind of play in that role and produce again, like the way the, you know, kind of the role guys of past seasons have. All right. Well, we appreciate you producing today, Dylan. Thanks for coming on. No, anytime for you guys. Thank you. Dylan Hernandez, our buddy from the Times. All right, now the story of the hot mic. Got to watch yourself. You know, you have no privacy in life, right? And if there's there's a microphone around, you really have no privacy. We'll explain this. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bringing you LA's best sports talk weekdays, noon to 3. Rogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah, it is a hump day, Fred. Rodney P. Fred Rogan on a Wednesday. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Uh, You know, there's a rule in broadcasting. Anytime you're around a microphone, doesn't matter if you're working radio or TV, Rodney and I have done both. You've got to assume that mic is hot, meaning that mic is on. You've always got to assume that the microphone is on. Because sometimes in the control booth, Somebody will hit a button inadvertently, and your mic will be hot. So you always got to watch what you say. Always have to be careful. Doesn't matter what, if you're doing play-by-play. You know, they can hear on the satellite your conversations. They're not on the air. And a lot of times there's a lot going on in that control room. Yeah. Um, you know, even even in, in our show, Ronnie does a great job. Ronnie takes care of us, thank God, because Ronnie... Uh, behind the scenes to pull the curtain back. Ronnie is is never misses a beat when it comes to live mic. You guys got a live mic. All right, live mics. Five seconds here. Oh, we're coming right back. Live mic here, Rodney. I mean, so Ronnie's on it. I've been in situations where guys have not necessarily been on it, uh, unfortunately. And in a lot of times in the cold in control room, there are a lot of things going on. You got to come back from break. You're, you're moving knobs all over the place. And like you said, sometimes you forget to either hit the mic or turn the mic off of your host. and But to your point, you should always assume that you're live. Yeah, and... If ex- you're in a studio setting, you should always assume that you're live. Right, if we're in here together yeah. during a break, if we're saying stuff to each other, we have to assume yeah. that there's a possibility that somebody's going to hit a button inadvertently and the audience can hear it. Right. We're always careful about what we say, and you should be. you In life, you have no privacy. None. You think you do, but you have none. Everybody has a phone, a phone that can record what you say and take pictures of you. You have no privacy, especially when you're around microphones. I'll give you an example. Um, I have a philosophy on TV. When we're out doing a live shot of some sort, I will never stand in front of the camera and have the microphone plugged in unless I can hear the control room. I will never stand in front of a camera unless I am listening to the control room. They are talking to me and I know everything is okay. Because once you stand in front of a camera, somebody hits the wrong right. button. I don't know. Maybe you're picking your nose. You're on. Yeah. You don't know what's happening. Uh, it used to be computerized at NBC years ago. I might have told the story. Keith Morrison, who's now on Dateline. Well, he was the anchor of the 6 o'clock news. And during the day, you'd have to sit at the newsroom camera and you would do these four-second teases. You know, Man bites dog coming up at 6. Mm-hmm. Well, that was operated by a computer then. And he was sitting there, and he had a Budweiser in his hand. And he was drinking the Bud. And the computer clicked on. And all you saw him do was drink and go, Bleh, like that. Because it, it got him. <laughs> Always got to be careful around cameras or microphones. So, Dan Plesak works for the MLB Network. I don't know if you watch MLB Network. I have. I have friends there. Uh, I think they do a really good job. They really do a good job covering baseball. And uh, he was on last night, and he was sitting there. And uh, he said to his buddy, 
are we on or can we just talk? And he goes, no, we're not on. Don't worry about it. Nobody can hear us. The microphones aren't on. And he starts talking about when he was pitching, because he was a pitcher in the big leagues, and uh, Reggie Jackson, you know, was at the plate. And he, he was indicating that, boy, when I saw Reggie Jackson, I knew he, I knew I made it. So this is the conversation that, of course, no one is supposed to hear. But he said it in a more vehement way. Anytime I hear Reggie Jackson's name, I was fortunate to pitch for 18 years. We're not all there. Well, we're not. He was still the only guy that when he walked in the box, I'm like, God damn it, I made it. I was like, I made it. Like, Reggie. Yeah. It was just, and you, you did well against him. I did, but that was at the end. It wasn't, wasn't fair. Wasn't, I mean, it's not fair to bring that up. That was on. <laughs> and that, that F bomb. Yeah. God damn it. That was actually on. The audience heard that. Thank God for him that it, that was all that he was talking about. Because we've heard, look, we've heard guys have get lose careers because the mics were on. I mean, Tom Brenneman, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Recently. Mm-hmm. Had a live mic situation. And, and we both know him. Mm-hmm. And, and and anybody could get caught. And look, just because you, you know someone and you, you're friendly with someone, you're friends with some, doesn't mean you always agree with their points of view. And everybody has their own points of view. And there's things that I argue with, whether it be family or close friends on, you know, politics, life, general, sports, all those type of things. You can have difference of opinion. A lot of times you get caught on mic saying certain things. It just, it, it, it'll, it'll, especially if you're a personality, It'll frame you as that's who you are. Right. And and it framed him as that's who he was, and he lost his job. And, and Tom Brenneman's dad had done the Reds, and he had right. done them for many, many years, and he worked for Fox. Yeah. He was one of their top football announcers. Absolutely. Out of I the mean, business. I think uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck had a live mic situation that was unfortunate, and there were a lot of people. It was very controversial, especially at the time in which they had it controversial situation because the way the country is divided um troy said something that just alienated a whole section of the country and a fan base by what he said about flag and flyovers and all those type of things so yeah it's it's uh it's unfortunate and, and again same guy i know troy i know he played with him played against him and know him as a great guy but certain viewpoints i differ with him doesn't mean i'm not his friend or don't care about him but when you get that and people that don't know you, then that's that's what they hear and that's what the way they frame you as that person. So yeah, it's uh it's very careful. That that is like the number one rule when you're in in in, in uh television or radio is that you gotta assume that that mic is hot no matter what. Well, please heck last night he said that. And then if you listened longer because they hadn't told him the mic was on yet. He dropped another F bomb. <laughs> and then and then because it's cable. Yeah. Because it's cable, then they told them they were on. And what did they do? They just started laughing. Right. He joked about it. They joked about it. They thought, yeah. ha. And it, you know, you cannot be fined by the FCC or lose your license. And I believe this only covers broadcast television. I don't think it covers cable. I could be wrong. But the FCC can fine you if someone who is watching finds something indecent. Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. All right. People found that indecent 
so the station carrying that broadcast could be fined by the FCC. If nobody finds it indecent, it's fine. So these guys are dropping F-bombs and laughing about it, and they continue to laugh about it all during their show. No problem. Who decides if it's indecent or not? The public. The public. Yeah, but but there's a there could be a faction of the public that do. I don't like the curse words. I don't like the F-bombs. You're absolutely right. So who determines whether or not they get fined? Well, the FCC determines whether they get fined, but it's the FCC will only respond if the public complains. Then they have to look into it. No, I got you. Yeah. So it, I will say, Fred, I just looked up. This is from the FCC's website. They say the same rules that apply to regular over-the-air television and radio do not apply to cable, satellite, and satellite radio because they are subscription services. So there you go. Right. So but, I don't know if it even matters. So these you know, guys can drop the F-bomb? Essentially. They don't yeah. do it, but it sounds like they can if they wanted to. You know, you, there was a story. Yeah, I mean, there's certain, you know, on, I don't know, that I heard, but, but other radio that, you know, you hear it and it's F-bomb left and right. You know, it fully goes, but it's a subscription-based. Same you know, thing with cable. There's certain shows that people can cuss all they want. Yeah, right. And, and they do. And, and they it, do. And it's, and it's fine. There was a story, and I can't remember how many years ago it was, and it involved the state assemblyman. His, his name was Mike Duvall. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was from Orange County. Anyway, uh, you talk about a live mic situation, and you never know if that mic is hot. Yeah, He's a state assemblyman, so he's in the assembly in Sacramento. And he's sitting next to this guy. And it's probably one of his colleagues from another district. Well, Mike Duvall is starting to talk about his escapades. Uh-huh. And talking about, you know, women he knew. And things he may have done. And it's just like two guys shooting a bull there. Yeah. yeah. And they're talking about, and it got picked up. Right. Yeah. I don't think Mrs. Duvall took too kindly to that. Yeah. And he was gone. Oh, I mean, you hear it oftentimes with politicians. I mean, not only just local politicians, but you hear it. I mean, George Bush got caught with a, with the live yeah. mic a couple times. I, mean, I remember infamous Jesse Jackson has got caught with live mics from time to time. So it can, you know, it could definitely happen to anyone. But again, to your point, just assume if you, if you don't know for sure, just say, "Am my mic on? Check my mic. Uh, is it on?" I, we had to do that. I mean, real quick. But our our reality show that we did for for Hallmark, um, because you forget when the cameras on. When you do a show like that, you forget the cameras are rolling there, and they just roll because they're picking up everything, and some things are golden at the end because they're candid. Um, but I had to fight and, and the kids forgot for sure, but you got to remember that that mic is on. Thank God we had, you know, packs that we could turn off our own mics from time to t- when, when we were off, but you oftentimes forgot about that. And I, <laughs> I was like, sometimes yelling at my kids and getting on my kids and saying things to my kids. I was like, Oh damn, my mic is on. I forgot my mic is on because could you, you forget. Could you tell them not to use it? Oh yeah. 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 Thank God we had, you know, we had final cut. But, yeah, but a lot of times, you know, a lot of people don't. That's why you see those shows, a lot of those shows, they're great in the reunion shows because those people don't have Final Cut, and they air those, and that's what makes it juicy because they continue to run, and you think you're just talking just to somebody about anything, and the cameras and the mics are rolling, and they go, oh, this is juicy TV, and they use it. Got to do it when we come back. Have no choice. Wish we had a choice, but we have no choice. Oh, Got to award the sad sack. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I mean, that is just sad. <laughs> sad sack of the day. Gotta do it, Rodney. Gotta do it. Of course you do. You gotta do it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. The day wouldn't be complete without you doing it. Sad sack, Charlotte Hornet guard, Devontae Graham. Third-year man, struggled last night. Just one for eight from the field. Scored four points in the play and loss to Indiana. That loss officially eliminated the Hornets from postseason contention. Again, your sad sack of the day, Devontae Graham of the Charlotte Hornets. You know, so funny, we were talking with Dylan Hernandez, you know, about the uh, about the Olympics and yeah. uh, the people in Japan and what could happen and could they be postponed. And he was talking about the government there. It's funny. About five minutes ago, I just read something. What? Do you know, in your agreement with the IOC, the government has no control over anything. The only person, yeah. the only entity that can cancel the games once you've signed your agreement to host, is the IOC. The government could say, we don't want them. We don't want anybody here. It's unsafe. Yeah, you sign away your life Yeah, if you're the government. It's it's the same thing with the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's gotten that way. When you go to a city, they they have to get together with Chamber of Commerce and all the city officials and all the businesses and all those things. Everyone has to agree to what they do. That's why when you go to a certain city, it's tough for individuals to find hotel rooms. They have to, you have to, all the hotel rooms really have to agree to set aside blocks for the NFL. And the NFL controls a number of the venues in that particular city. Um, And I can only imagine what it's like for the Olympics because they're generating so much money for that city or that country that it's in that, yeah, you would sign your your life away. I know people that own hotels that couldn't, you know, had to give away 90% of their rooms. In, in Arizona and in and, and, and other places of the country because the NFL, a part of their deal was that they had the rights to those hotel rooms. Well, in Japan, it doesn't matter if uh, the situation is bad. Wow. If, if the pandemic is worse. So so even on a even in a medical emergency, the government can't say anything. There's got to be some loophole, some act of God, you know, situation that the government can step in from what i read and in this this article it said that if you went to court international court and you're the government you would lose you would lose even if you said we are shutting down the airports we are not letting anyone in the ioc would say no the airports are open and the athletes are coming and you will be in breach you have no power in that I, I, it, look, L.A. is going to host these games in a few years. I don't know if I'd be so willing to sign everything away to the IOC. Everything? Well, it, it feels like that's, that's like the standard deal for any city or country that's hosting the Olympics. You have to, That is the standard agreement. It's, I don't think this is a, you know, a unique to Japan and Tokyo. I think this is a standard agreement when the Olympics come in because you know they come in with a tremendous amount of power. Because of those reasons, if something happens in your country or there, there's a, you know, conflict breaking out, 
that you don't have the power to stop this that's happening because we've already planned it and we've already set aside the money and all the things and resources to have it in your city. But I got to imagine if there is a medical or some state of emergency, the country has got to have the right to to push back on that. If something happened in America, you know, month a month or two before the Olympics hit L.A., you you telling me the United States and state of California could not shut it down and say, oh, no. And everything else in the, in the world is fine, but in America there was a crisis that the United States could not shut down the Olympics? Are you kidding me? Well, according to this, the United States could say we don't want the Olympics or we need to shut down whatever, but it would have to be the IOC that would make the final decision. And that speaks to what I said to Dylan, the money. You know, the IOC, no Olympics, they don't get paid. And it's billions of dollars from NBC. And then there are other rights holders around the world. So it yep. comes down to money. That That's really why they're holding these games. It's pure and simple. You know, we can wave the Olympic flag and talk about the spirit of amateurism. But the truth of the matter is the games oh, yeah. will go on because the IOC wants to get paid.